Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. It's the first time I had heard that Kevin and Query, Kevin choking promo. Now he's getting some free time in Florida, though, which is good. Well-deserved. Well-deserved, indeed. Also, probably deserving of a break from covering the train wreck that has been the Indianapolis Colts is our guy, Mike Chappell. Chappie joins us on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Chappie, I know it has been quite the last month or so. What I want to lead things off with by asking, though, is Jeff Saturday's media availability yesterday. Nick Foles, at least as of now, remains the starting quarterback. Was that your anticipated answer from Saturday when you guys asked about the QB situation? I suppose. I, I'm at the point that it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. It really doesn't. Uh, and how, you know, Foles is the latest guy that they put in a position to fail. You know, it started with Parks Frazier and then Jeff Saturday and even Sam Ellinger. And now Nick Foles. Keep in mind, he, he first took, you know, snaps with the first unit on Wednesday. So he's had, he's had no, you know, meaningful work. With, with starting players since training camp, so so we probably got what we we, we expected. You know, set, what was it seven sacks, and I think at least four of them were on him for either holding the ball too long or trying to go through his progressions, which means holding the ball too long. Yeah, I I don't know what. I, I, maybe maybe part of me wondered if they should have gone to Ellinger in the fourth quarter. Maybe, especially after the failed fourth and one. But I just don't know that at this point it matters. These this offense broken beyond repair this season, and I don't know who you could put back there that would make a difference. Uh, you know, somebody I guess that doesn't throw interceptions. They they've had now like was it seventeen. It's crazy. This team leads the league in interceptions and lost fumbles and you know total turnovers, and you can't win that way. Chap, when they brought in Saturday as interim head coach, where at the time was your bar or your outlook for what you wanted to see out of his tenure? Obviously, it's not over yet, but what did you want to see? And then, I mean, obviously, it's an F, right, in terms of where the team is at, but but where is your grade and observations at all with how this experiment or this trial uh, has gone and how much of it rests on his shoulders? Well, I think very little rests on his shoulders. You could have put, you know, George Hallis in there. And, again, I think this team is so broken that it doesn't matter. I, anyone who expected more than a win or two with with just Saturday was delusional. It's, you know, you, you win the first game, and you, you generally have that, that, that initial sugar high, which they came out and played really well, and it was a great story. And then, you know, you sort of get into the routine of, okay, now we've got to go. You know, and maybe they beat Houston. I don't think – I initially thought they could beat the Giants. I don't, didn't think the Giants were all that good. But they've got – you know, they've got Barkley and they've got the defense. So they're going to be tough. And, and they're shooting for the playoffs. Maybe Houston. I, I, it would be such a bad offseason. It's going to be 
uh, an offseason of change anyway, but to go into the offseason losing to Houston at home, you know, <laughs> that wouldn't be good optics. But I, I didn't have high expectations. I mean, how could you? Uh, maybe he, maybe he's brought more discipline, more accountability. I guess that's such a vague word, but I think maybe he's been harder on the team than maybe Frank was, and I think that's one thing that Ursay wanted. But anyone who expected Jeff to come in here and, and turn this thing around, it's the same roster that Frank had. It, it's the same offensive line that's not good enough. It's the same running game that's not been good enough. It's the same quarterback that hasn't been good enough. So, you know, you you only can do with what you've got, and they don't have enough. So to kind of follow up with that, Chap, is that why you think Jim Irsay still intends for Jeff Saturday to be a strong candidate? Because the the cards were, I don't say stacked against him, but it was a tough situation that he was coming into. Is that that a part of the rationale there as to why you'd want him to be still a strong candidate? Or was Monday just, you know, he, Jim Irsay is not the type of guy that's going to tear somebody down in a national interview, particularly somebody as, as as prestigious or as relevant to the organization's history as Jeff Saturday. Yeah, I think Irsay did what he did for whatever reason, uh, knowing that that this wasn't he wasn't going to get this team into playoff contention or whatever. But maybe just sort of get him some experience at the position and what all it entails. And you know, the head coach does so much. And I'm sure there were times with with Jeff where he's sitting there preparing things and somebody comes in and says, hey, we need you to do this. And he says, why? Well, because you're the head coach. But, you know, I, I, I am convinced that, that that Jeff's going to be a strong candidate and, and the fan base can roll, roll their eyes all they want. But I think it, the rationale will be, well, you know, you know, no one could have done much in those those last eight games and we think Jeff has done this and, if Jim Mercy wants Jeff Saturday to be his coach, right? Jeff Saturday is going to be his coach. They'll, <laughs> right. go, they'll go through the Rooney thing and they'll talk to minorities and they'll talk to a couple other players or a couple other candidates, and then he'll name Jeff. And if that's what he wants to do, you know, it, it's I, I am totally, totally in favor of the Rooney rule. I, I think it's needed. It, the, the, the teams need to be forced, unfortunately, to talk and interview minorities. But if you're the owner of a team, of a business, of whatever, you're going to hire whoever you darn well please. You just are. Right. You, you hire people that you that you're comfortable with, and, and, and it's got all the bad connotations. But you're going to hire somebody that, that that you are comfortable with. And if he believes Jeff is that guy, then if, if that's the case, then it's incumbent upon Jeff Saturday to to, to have the strongest coaching staff he could find. You know, a, a, a top offensive coordinator, quarterback coach. And I tell you, I would I would not hesitate one bit to bring back Gus Bradley and as many of these defenses players yeah. as possible. This defense is is it championship level? Probably not. Is it playoff level? Absolutely. And it's just been put in so many bad situations. So if Jeff is back as coach, it's it's he, his success will depend on the coaching staff he surrounds himself with. Mike Chappell is on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Chap, do you get the sense that in the coaching search – 
Ursay has to go in his mind with a guy with a pass connection to the franchise in, in the grand scheme of things? I, I, I no, I don't think so. Uh, now that may, again, that may be where he goes with, again with Saturday. But no, I don't think so. I, you can almost argue that they need to get away from that uh, to, to get a, a fresh set of eyes and all that. So yeah, I, I don't think that, and that should not. It's kind of like the IU thing. You know, is it was it important to to bring in Mike Woodson for all that? Well, I, you know, how many of those players nowadays know who Mike Woodson is? So I, I don't know. I don't think that sh- I don't think that should have much of a influence at all. Uh, let, let, let's take the other extreme, and, and, and as well as so they focus on Jim Harbaugh, and and he's interested. Well, that's it's because he he's been super successful at Michigan and with with San Francisco, not because he's in the Ring of Honor and he had a couple of you know bursts at, as a Colts quarterback that got him in the Ring of Honor. So I, I I I really don't. I think that should be so far down the list of you know requirements that you have some tie to the team because I just this team has so much. There's so much work that's got to be done with with Chris Ballard and the new coach that that just can't really play into it. Chap, I know that Jim has already kind of made it clear. At least he said it publicly a number of times, and we were at a point evaluating yesterday where okay, even though you can't get inside the head of Jim or say at some point if a figure this the face of the franchise, the voice of the franchise, the, the controlling member of the franchise, keeps saying that Chris Ballard is your general manager, at some point, that is that is fact. You have to take it as fact, and that's what's going to happen. So so if, if that is factual at this point, at least that's what he's saying, that Ballard is the general manager, you've covered the team longer than anybody. What kind of leash is on this guy? Because I know that we are not in the business, you or I, of rooting for people to lose their jobs, but we also know it's a business, and if it's not Saturday's fault, and it's not, it was Reich's fault, but he's gone, the last person to blame in the room is Ballard, no? Oh, there's no question. We always discuss in the press room is when this thing was you know, starting to go downhill, is how do you meet out the blame? And I always thought it was like, 60 40 70 30 with the GM because he built the team right I mean it, it, he built the team he and his scout scouting have built the team so yeah it, it, it's it's gonna be interesting the leash well I mean keep in mind that that they're gonna draft a quarterback that they're gonna draft a quarterback because you've got to have that young guy that you can at least say he, he's I guess he's our future uh, if that's the case, you're not going to see immediate returns. You know, people are are disappointed and upset and all that about four ten and one headed to wherever it's headed. What do you expect next year? You know, if that if that if you get the third best quarterback or maybe the maybe he's higher in your mind, it's it's very possible he doesn't play at the start of the season. So then that means you've got to have a veteran get you through. Is that Nick Foles? Is it Sam Ellinger? Is it, I don't know, Marcus Mary, somebody else? And if that's the case, and that will be the case, th- then it's, it's going to be tough sledding next year. But I'm telling you, if, if the fan base sees that you get a quarterback that you can build on, that the, you know, they'll be 100% behind it until that guy isn't the guy. But the fan base can deal with a rebuilding season if they see that it's building towards something. 
that's the problem now is is no one sees where this is going because it's going nowhere. But if not if when they draft a young quarterback, isn't that going to give the GM a year or two? Unless next year is just a, an absolute train wreck, you know, like this year. Uh, because to expect any this team to do a lot next year with a young quarterback or a another you know mid level veteran quarterback is crazy. So he's going to be given at least a couple more years which I'm sure drives a portion of the fan base crazy. Chap, late last night, there was the story dropping from Pro Football Talk. I don't know if you saw it, but it was where, quote, it's a Jim Irsay says he, again, quote, reluctantly gave Frank Reich a contract extension before, quote, I wanted to. Not sure if you saw that. If you did, if you didn't, what's your take on that? Yeah, I've talked to Jim a couple of times in the last month, and he's mentioned that. To me, and I've really not done much with it because a lot of times what he tells me is off the record and all that. But he mentioned that in the ESPN, in the ESPN interview as well. And I don't know what that means. I mean, if you don't want to give Frank Wright an extension, you don't give Frank Wright an extension. I, I, I don't know what it means, and I have a hard time believing that Frank went in there and said, and pressured or whatever, and said, I, I need an extension. I don't know. There, there are things that that are said that I, I don't always agree with, but that's when I just I don't know what he what he means reluctantly because you're the owner, and it's not like Frank would have not coached without an extension. So I really don't know what that means. Does that tie into Ballard too by extension, Chap? I know we didn't say him directly, or are we just reading too much into that. Well, they got an extension the same right, time. Exactly. The same exactly, day, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was. It was. You know, he announced it during that training camp right. interview in August of tw- of twenty twenty one. But, but you know, it, 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 I think it's one though where you, you want you want your coach and, and head coach tied to the same time frame because it makes sense. And that's that's why whoever they they're bringing as the head coach, he and Chris Ballard need to be, you know, really really similar. As far as far as how they look at things, because if the GM and the head coach don't match, then what do you got? You know, you're you're always going to have issues. Uh, so yeah, that, again, going back to what the owner said, I don't I don't understand. Other than you know the extension, which probably came too early because you didn't need to, but at least it tied the two guys together until 2026. Until you get rid of the coach, so I, it's it's one of those things that we never really get the entire reason, backstory, or whatever. But reluctantly, that word just kind of I, I just kind of roll my eyes. I don't know what it means. Chap, last thing on my end because you're as interconnected as anybody around this market is the pulse around West Fifty Six. I know this is going to be a conversation and a question of you the next four months, but is the pulse around West Fifty Six that? With that first round pick, they want to take a quarterback if if they're positioned right. Yeah, I mean, and they will be positioned right. What's going to be five or four, maybe. Right. And but keep in mind, even let's say you're four, you're still going to get probably the the third best quarterback, or at least the number three quarterback in the draft. And you know, again, however they 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 you know evaluate these guys because Houston's going to take a quarterback, and whoever's two or three, if they don't want a quarterback someone's going to trade up to get that unless maybe the Colts trade up to get that. Right. 
So yeah, it, it's and Ursa's even said that you know when they when they when I, when I talked to him and they and they got rid of Wentz, uh, you know, a, a year ago, he he talked about you know doggone it, we need to get that young guy that we can develop, and he mentioned Ellinger a couple times as that guy, and and we've seen I think that he 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 probably isn't that guy. I mean. He might. I think he's got a chance to be a decent backup, but certainly not a franchise quarterback. But they they desperately have got to get off of this yep. veteran carousel. They've got to get a young guy that they they believe in, they trust, and that they believe in a year can be the guy. Because I'll tell you, what, what really drives these guys and other teams crazy is you look around the league and you see Joe Burrow and, and Josh Allen and and Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes and these young quarterbacks that are going to be there for for 10 years. Trevor Lawrence. Yep. You know, he's in your division for crying out loud and now that he's finally got a coach who knows what he's doing, he he, he might be that guy. You know, he might be one of those top 5 quarterbacks, top 8 quarterbacks and and you're sitting here and you don't have you don't have anything. And that's not a good position to be in. Mike Chappell taking some time with us, talking Colts. Chappie, we always appreciate the time. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Happy New Year, Chap. Happy New Year, and you guys be well. Thanks, Chappie. Mike Chappell on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Nice job by the Indiana Pacers last night. Sole possession of seventh place in the Eastern Conference with their big win over the Hawks, 129-114. Buddy Heald, 28 points. Ben Matherin, 18. Tyrese Halliburton, 23. The Pacers are a game above 500. And through this stretch, which we have talked a lot about, Jimmy, if it could be murderer's row, the Pacers come out pretty okay. And here to talk about it, Tony East, our good pal, who jumps on with us to talk some blue and gold. Tony, appreciate the time, as always. Was with you in media row last night. Your big takeaways from the Pacers win. Yeah, that game was fascinating because that was the first time in the whole season, maybe, that the bench was the reason the Pacers won a game. I mean, Look, they got great performances from Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton. Those should not be overlooked. But the bench has been really rocky this year. You know, a lot of those guys have been inconsistent. Last night, Matherin was scoring well. McConnell was doing his thing. O'Shea Brissett couldn't miss. I mean, that was the best their second unit has looked all season. That was huge, right? They were trailing late in the first quarter. That group got them ahead by 15 in the middle of the second. That was a very unique Pacers win in that way. Tony, you mentioned O'Shea Brissett, 16 points, but he was plus 28 on the floor. That was 17 better than anybody else. What about his night? He was unbelievable, right? He was finishing at the rim, which is something he struggled with his whole career. Like, he can sometimes get by guys with the dribble, but he can't always finish right at the basket. And his athleticism has never allowed him to be good in that area. He Right away in the second quarter, right, three drives to the bucket, finish, a, finish the lamp. He hit a three in that second quarter as well. He was great in that way. And, look, he has a lot of these games where because he's the team's most athletic and mobile, like, forward-sized dude, right, he's 6'8". They don't have a lot of guys in that range. He just fits in a lot of their lineups in a way that a lot of other players can't. And 
you know, he's maybe their best option to put on a perimeter player or John Collins or whoever, and it allows them to have these huge plus-minus games where if his offense is clicking, the way he plays defense, he's huge for them, and he was last night, and he was awesome. Tony, how much has, we talk about Tyrese Halliburton opening up everything for this offense, but how much has Tyrese Halliburton either unlocked or rebirthed the type of play that we've seen from Miles Turner early on in his career? I, obviously, being back at his natural five has helped a ton, but how much has Halliburton helped in terms of just the overall night-to-night basis of a player like Miles Turner? Yeah, a lot, right? Like, you know, Turner, even earlier in his career, before the Pacers had Savonis, would roll and cut every so often. But, you know, Jeff Teague and Daring Tallison aren't the level of passers that Tyrese Halliburton is, right? With no shade to those guys, they both were pretty good for the Pacers. They just aren't the passer that Halliburton is. So now Turner is, one, better than he was back then. But, two, he's mixing in those plays where he's cutting, he's diving, he's rolling after screens. And he also has a teammate who's very good at, getting him the ball in the right spots to succeed, whether that's the timing of the pass, whether that's changing the angle and tossing it to someone else to throw the ball into Turner. That all matters a lot, and I think that's helped Turner thrive as much as anything this year is that the offensive system around him is much better for him to thrive on the interior, right? I was talking to Justin Holiday before the game last night, right? He played with Turner for three and a half seasons, and that's kind of what he saw as the biggest growth in Turner's game is just the way that the way the Pacers play, the style that they play, along with him going inside more, really all clicks together in a way that allows Turner to, to be the best he's ever been. Tony East is with us on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Defensively, Tony, last night, Trey Young, he was able to have a 20-point night, dropped 22, but nine of those points came at the free-throw line. So in my mind, that's one of the quieter 20-point nights you're ever going to see from a guy like Trey Young. What do you think they did so well defensively against him? The, the, the Hawks are a good matchup for the Pacers in that they can the Pacers' best defenders they can just toss at Trey Young and Dejounte Murray and you know dust their hands off together and say yep we feel good about this you know they, they started off the game with Andrew Nembhard on Trey Young and he's done a great job defending players like that this season he stays in front of him he, he can chase him around off the ball which is hard to do and made his life really hard and they were trapping him a lot after pick and rolls Jalen Smith had a great defensive game doing stuff like that as well and it was really impressive the way that. They were able to get up in his face, get the ball out of his hands, try to make other guys beat them. And at times it worked for the Hawks where, you know, guys like John Collins, you know, he had a really big night. I think he had 26. We're scoring pretty well, but without two of their starters, DeAndre Hunter and Clint Capella, Trey didn't have as many options to pass to. So Nembard's defensive pressure, the Pacers scheme to send two to him after screens at times were really effective. And even Aaron Neesmith defended him well at times when he got the assignment. The Pacers had a really good matchup in this game, and they did a really good job you know, putting the pressure on Trey Young at the right times and knowing that he doesn't have as many good release valves to, to kind of get get rid of that pressure and have someone else score, especially when Collins, who fouled out, was out of the game. The lead on the AP story that, that ESPN kind of ran with for their game recap led into Buddy Heal's work ethic and just his preparation and how much time he spent in the gym. Uh, Tony, you, you cover this league as well as anybody and know the ins and outs particularly from just the not just the shooting splits but just the the grind that it takes for shooters to add extra weapons to their game or add more consistency to their game how can you put into context this kind of I don't want to say career year but this just elite level season particularly from beyond the arc that Buddy Heald is having in the type of contributions that he makes to put this Pacers team into a real conversation, not just as a play-in team, but also as a maybe middle-of-the-pack playoff team going into 
April in the playoffs. Yeah, look, uh, he's now he, Steph's been hurt, obviously, but but he's now first in the league and made threes this year, right? Like you, you can you can say career if you want. He's over forty percent now for the first time in you know three or four seasons from deep shot, eighty six percent from deep last night. Led the team in scoring. Like he's been really good this year, and it was really interesting to because that was a lot of the questions about what he's been doing this season last night to him, to Rick Carlisle, to Tyrese Halberton is. You know, what what is it about his the way he prepares and his work ethic that allows him to be this consistent shooter for this team this year? And you know, Buddy Hield's always always in the gym, right? When we go in for our practice media availabilities, we can see the end of practice, which is mostly just guys getting up shots and working on skills. And Buddy Hield is usually one of the last guys out there, and he's shooting by himself a lot of the time, just getting those threes up. And you know, the, the little things that he does during the game to stay engaged and keep his hands on the ball that Rick Carlisle was talking about after the game is like. Watch Buddy Heald during timeouts if you're ever at a Pacers game. Like, he'll try to go grab the game ball and shoot it or spin it in his hands or something just to stay warm. Like, he's so focused on his craft, especially his shooting, that it makes him such a valuable player for this Pacers team. And he was joking with us, Heald was last night, that his family has to tell him sometimes to get out of the gym, right, because he's in there so much trying to get those shots up. And, you know, he's really put in the time uh, since being traded here, at least when I could see him, to, to be that shooter, to be really consistent from deep, to be that weapon. And, of course, again, like with uh, like with Miles earlier, we talked about this system is really good for Hield, right? He can run around the perimeter. Tyrese gets in the ball in great positions to score. But when he's shooting at the level he's shooting at, when he's playing with the consistency that he has, he's been such a weapon for this team in a way that was that was pretty unexpected to me uh, when he was traded here. And he's been really fantastic. It was huge for them last night. Like, going 6 for 7 for deep and on your way to 28 points, almost a double-double. He was really special, and his work ethic has been as well. Tony, just to follow up on Buddy, I realize these types of performances can feed into trade stock for him and make him more attractive to other teams. But more so, does it just make him more untradeable in the mind of Kevin Pritchard that, look, if this is what you're getting out of the guy, it's going to be really hard to let go of him. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he's close with Tyrese. You know, they're always joking around together that now viral press conference happened a couple weeks ago. He's, he's of course, very good, right? Led the team in scoring last night. Very often does. He's a great shooter. And, you know, unlike with Turner, where a lot of the discussion will be around him because of his contract situation, like, there's no rush with Buddy Heald. He has another season under contract. His contract actually declines next season. So the Pacers who love flexibility can still have some with him under under contract with this team, even if they are, you know, rebuilding or whatever term you want to use. I know that that's not the, the Pacers' favorite term specifically. Like, he only has one more year on his deal. He's not crippling their books or anything, and he's valuable and good. You know, there's no rush for them to, to do anything unless they get blown away by an offer or feel like they absolutely have to change directions for some reason. So, yeah, of course, it's going to lead into to trade talk speculation. I get why. Uh, you know, when you have a 28-point game and you're one of the best shooters in the league. But if you're the Pacers and you're over 500 and you're in the mix and you know, you maybe you don't end up being as much of a seller as you thought, yeah, keeping it makes absolutely a ton of sense. Tony, you study the cap as well as anybody. You know the, the, the minute details and the intricacies of it. So as you look and I understand the front office, is, of course, is all aware of this. But for those that don't, that follow the Pacers, when you look at how you're building out this I don't want to, I don't, you can't call it a championship window yet, but when you're looking how you're building out Halliburton and Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nemhard and, and this young core, from a billable standpoint in the area where the Pacers like flexibility, is there a scenario where you give an extension to Miles and you're looking at long-term options with Buddy Heald or realistically with 
how the NBA ebbs and flows and, and where the Pacers want to spend money, is that not in the realm of possibility? Yeah, it seems like if you extend Turner, you're commit not maybe committed to this specific core, like right this second, but you know, you're interested in this exact team, right? Turner fits with the group they have, the roster that they have makes sense. And they have flexibility to do a bunch of things, even if they extend Turner, like they'll probably still have cap space this offseason, for example. But, you know, if you commit to Turner, like especially before this core has played a playoff game, you're kind of committing to the team as a whole, right? Uh, to an extent, not actually in terms of the money, but you know, it's clearly signals a buy-in for the roster they have and what they're building, which again, they're over 500, like they're playing well. That's, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, you know, it would kind of signal that they are interested in keeping a lot of their guys, right? Maybe you don't keep the flexibility of trade options open for a guy like Heald or other veterans, you know, McConnell, Tice, whatever, who's in the mix, although he's not playing as much. Uh, but I, yeah, I certainly think if you extend Turner, you're committing more to the team that you have and a shorter timeline than maybe they were even expecting when they started this project this offseason. Tony, uh, about how hard the Pacers play defensively, how much does the athleticism of the second unit feed into what they're able to do from a defensive standpoint? Yeah, they haven't really had this sort of athleticism <laughs> since I've been covering the team. Certainly, you know, they've had athletic players, but never this sort of group effort of athleticism uh, in, in the last five, six, seven years um, on this roster. And that was a priority for them this offseason, right? When they were talking about player types they would like to add or skill sets they wanted to add, shooting, obviously, something this team wanted. Uh, and, and athleticism was a big thing for Rick Carlisle. I think his his, um, his discussion about it was, we're not going to be last in dunks anymore, right? And obviously, that's an offensive thing, but that does apply. Like, being athletic on defense is, is super valuable, right? It allows you to stay in front of guys. It lets you move and and be with whoever, and, and, and the modern NBA, that's a little smaller. There's not as many bigs. You can get away with that against most teams. Ironically, one of the teams they can't is their opponent on Thursday, Cleveland. But you know, that that has been really helpful for them on the defensive end. That a lot of their new additions are you know, some solid athletes who can stay in front of guys. Aaron Neesmith, definitely the most notable of that group. But even Benedict Matherin's athletic and can stay in front of guys, even though he has some team defense considerations to consider. Andrew Nembard is not the fastest guy, but you know, he's very functionally athletic, can slide in front of defenders, has been a great defender for this team all season. Like the athleticism of this team has been huge for them defensively and obviously their point of attack defense isn't good. It's one of this team's weaknesses certainly, but they they figured out how to adjust on that end and be a little better. They've gotten better at defense as the years progressed. Turner is of course athletic on the defensive end around the basket. It's really helped them, you know, become a more complete group on the defensive end of the floor in a way that they really weren't even at the start of this season and especially last year. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Tony East takes the time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power tools, equipment, and so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers and themotorshop.com. Tony, when you measure the road trip the Pacers just went on and then this most recent outing against Atlanta, obviously still a test to be had against the Cavaliers and other foe in the East and a foe in division at that. But when you look at the last couple of weeks or so, has your pulse on the direction of this team changed at all, or is it still kind of in the middle of this could go one of two ways, but we still need to let it play out? Yeah, I think that it, it's, I'm in the play it out stage, although I've been really impressed with them this week. Like when they fell under 500 before this road trip, when they lost that home game to the Knicks, it was their 
second or third clutch loss in a row where they just couldn't quite get over the hump. And they'd been slumping since that disaster loss against Brooklyn. I thought, you know, I'm not sure they'll get above 500 again this year. Maybe they get back to it a time or two. But they didn't feel like they had their mojo. They didn't feel like they were playing well or responding to some of the stuff the other teams were throwing at them. And so this road trip was really impressive. Like, of course, beating Boston is impressive in any context. But doing that and then beating Miami and then coming home and, and really crushing the Hawks. Like, I did not – they've responded to a lot this season. But – I thought maybe they would fall off a little bit going into that trip, and they did not at all, to their credit. But, yeah, you know, 500 is a, is a tough spot in the NBA, right? You don't know really what you are, where you can go. And I think the wait-and-see approach makes the most sense for basically every team in that range, especially one that's in kind of year one of a new era, as Rick Carlisle called it, on day one of the season. So, of course, it's been impressive, right? Being seventh in East, I think they're dead tied with the Knicks for six, although the Knicks have the head-to-head tiebreaker, right? They're clearly good. They're in the playoff mix right now, and – some of these teams, 11th, 12th, you know, the, the Wizards, the Bulls, like they don't look like they're going to be good enough to, to move up a ton. Like the Pacers could very easily just kind of, not cruise, but kind of stumble into playing positioning as the season progresses. But I don't think that, you know, their, their, real, their long-term goals should change too much, even with this good stretch against good teams recently. I think they need to stay the course with their plan. Like it, it's, it's hard to remember this because the Pacers have been so good this year, but like their two best players are the ones that are thought about like that for their long-term are. 22 and 20 years old. You know, that's what makes their winning so impressive is that they are so young. He's Tony East at T East NBA on Twitter. He's joining us on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and the MowerShop.com. Tony, you've been with the Pacers now a couple of years. You've seen them pre Tyrese Halliburton, currently with Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, last week, we had Scott Agnes on. He talked to Terry Taylor out in Vegas for the G League invite. Um, and he talked to Terry about Halliburton. He said, This total change in the Pacers culture and everything is all Tyrese Halliburton. I want your opinion on that and if what you've seen from this team, not only in the locker room, from an energy and a chemistry. Um, in an environmental standpoint uh, besides on the floor itself. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think that their environment has 100% changed as he has come into the group. And Carlisle was talking about that last night on the stand. Like, he, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions about him, obviously, because he's playing incredibly well recently. But you know, he, he's really good friends with, like, everybody on the team and, and, and in a good way, not like a you know a buddy-buddy kind of way, like in a really productive way that – brings everybody together and the word Carlisle always uses is he's a connector and that applies both as a teammate where you know he can bring guys together he can unite guys to a common goal he's you know good at in practice at you know gassing guys up and getting guys in the right position to succeed but also on the court it's you know knowing when a guy hasn't touched the ball in a while and needs to get involved or knowing what the game calls for at a specific time and how he can involve his teammates and what that takes and you know that's a hard role to play that connector role for a whole team like this especially one that is kind of a bunch of guys who haven't played together that much before. And he's done a fantastic job bringing that together. I think Taylor's perspective is certainly a very good one as he was on the team last year uh, in a bunch of different contexts. And last year's team, one of the most disappointing in Pacers franchise history. So Tyrese has been huge in their culture shift. And they've had some connectors like Oladipo was certainly that his first year with the team. And they've had some good vets in that way, like Thad Young and Darren Collison. But Tyrese takes it to a whole other level that, you know, it was, of course, great in the locker room when, when everybody can trust their star and follow his lead as a person, but it's also great on the court for getting other guys involved. And their culture has been special this year. You kind of need that if you're going to be a surprise team, and they've certainly had it. Tyrese is a big part of that. And what's also impressive about that is like, he's 22. Right? It's very rare for a team to have a leader that young. I asked James Johnson about it. You know, he's 35. He's been on a ton of teams. You know, he, the, the guy he equated it to is Derrick Rose, right, with the Bulls was the last – really young leader he he could remember like this 
uh, on a team. And I thought that was really fascinating for him to, to make that equation. And Tyrese has been that guy for the Pacers who's come in and you know their, their last era did not end well. They had a team that didn't fit together. A lot of bad vibes really not in the locker room, but just as a, as a group and as they were progressing. And he has certainly turned that around so quickly, right? They, he's only been with the Pacers for, for 10 months. It's really remarkable what he's been able to do. Tony, how much of a measuring stick is tomorrow's game against Cleveland? Because, of course, there's a chance at a little revenge factor after what happened on December 16th, losing at Cleveland. But then, look, man, you look at the standings. The Pacers are only three games back of the 76ers for fifth and four games back of the Cavs for fourth. So what will Thursday's game tell you most if the Pacers are able to compete? Yeah, the first time they played the Cavs, like, they, they beat the Pelicans. In the, they just lost to the Pelicans again. But they beat the Pelicans in early November. But outside of that, they had yet to beat a team – uh, at that first time they played Cleveland, that was like in the top three or four of either conference uh, at the time, and they lost the Cavs that night after a horrible ending. Now, obviously, they've beaten Boston since then, and the Nets' ascent means they have beaten good teams in the East, but you know, it, it, every every really good opponent is a measuring stick for this Pacers team in that they, they haven't really done amazing against the top-level opponents this season. They've done pretty well, I would say, but not amazing, and, and especially for them, they, they just lost to the Cavs, right? Donovan Mitchell tore them up. They did a, a terrible job down the stretch of that game in the clutch. They did so again against the Knicks, and they've kind of gotten over their clutch woes in some recent games. I think it's a measuring stick game one because they're playing a talented team that has, you know, potentially as many as, you know, four guys who could be in the all-star mix, Mobley, Allen, uh, and the two guards in Garland and Mitchell, but also just because, you know, how do they respond to a game like that, right? Like, how, how do they respond to a game where they were playing much better than their opponent the whole time just to blow it at the end, and it, it's a very talented Cleveland team. They'll learn a lot about the Pacers' ability to respond against these good teams, their ability to play against a really good Cavs team. That I mean, as things shake out, could be their first-round playoff opponent, right, depending on how the standings keep going. And it's a division team. They'll be playing a ton in the next couple of years. Like, it's a measuring stick game for them for a million reasons, but really uh, it's mostly because it's of their ability to respond like they have all season. Right? Every time they're down, they get back up, they, they – keep finding themselves in situations where they need to respond, but they keep doing it and, and finding ways to win. And they need to respond to the way they closed last time against the Cavs. I think they can win. Uh, you know, they, they, they certainly had the blueprint, but uh, th- this team has shown that a lot of times in those games they don't end up winning, but they also are, again, fantastic at responding. So we'll see. I think it's a good measuring stick game for them in many ways. Tony, we're a couple of weeks away from the trade deadline, or not the trade deadline, but the discussions of trade filing being able to happen uh, when – you look at the Pacers and the deadline itself. One, do they have any trade exceptions? I can't remember if they created one last year. And two, if they do, uh, do you expect them to use that? Uh, when they dip under the cap, they lose all the trade exceptions. But the salary cap is effect, or excuse me, salary cap space is effectively a giant trade exception, right? Like they could acquire a player and send nothing back in exchange. They have to send a team something, I guess, like a draft rights or a second round pick or something. But you know, they could take in a player making any amount of money without sending out any salary, which is effectively a trade exception that the salary cap allows them to have. And that, that means anything is possible. And one that will lead to, you know, rumors abound from, from every angle of the internet as trade season progresses, but it also, you know, gives the Pacers a lot of flexibility, something Kevin Pritchard loves that, you know, any, any player they want that they, they have means to make a trade that makes sense for them. Right? They don't have to make it, you know, weird salary stuff that makes it so different assets are involved or they don't have to, satisfy different needs for another team like they can just say we can have the player what assets do you want and that kind of you know makes things easier from any perspective buying selling whatever they decide to do our guy tony east nobody covers the pacers like him we always appreciate the time tony have a great new year's man we'll see you soon awesome thanks for having me guys tony east on the hotline brought to you by the mower shop in fishers and the mowershop.com for all your snowblowers commercial and residential mowers plus service 
and power tools. 38 years and counting as... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. NFL play-by-play broadcaster, 37 years and counting as an NBA broadcaster. 12 consecutive Super Bowls, the list goes on and on. One of my favorite broadcasters, not just right now, but in the business sports broadcast, somebody that me and BK have both looked up to and always appreciate when he makes time for us here in Indianapolis. It is Kevin Harlan of Westwood One of Turner Sports. Nice enough to make some time for us today. Kevin, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for your kind words. Great to be on with you guys and a early Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Thanks again for making the time. Kevin, you have had the opportunity for observations for this Colts teams early on uh, already this season a couple of times Monday Night Football and then of course you and Trent Green will be on the call for the matchup against the Giants this weekend uh, just focusing I guess on that Chargers game and the body of work the Colts have put together this season it's been rough here in Indianapolis what's been your national observation of this team and the, the rough stretch they're going as they are more focused on 2023 right now than 2022 well, we saw him first in Las Vegas uh, on Jeff's first um, head coaching game, and um, they certainly played well uh, against Vegas. And, and Matt Ryan, uh, I recall him running for a big play <laughs> late in the game. And then we had uh, the game a couple weeks ago and the Monday night game in, um, in Indy, and then we had the game on Monday. So this will be my fourth look at him. And the third time this season that I saw him on Monday, I thought the same thing. Terrific defense. Surprised their offensive line has struggled. And with no Jonathan Taylor, certainly, it kind of cuts the soul right out of the offense. It's the one thing, when healthy, that you could kind of count on. And just disappointed to see uh, a season that I think, you know, like a lot of people thought that the Colts would win the division has gone astray and unraveled so, uh, you know, unbelievably. Frank's gone. Jeff is there. There's a lot going on around him. Team is just trying to hold on and keep their composure and finish off these next two games. And it'll be an interesting offseason for sure. Some big decisions have got to be made. And my guess is that no no corner of the organization will go um, uh, unlooked. Uh, they'll, they'll definitely survey exactly what they've got. And um, they need a face with the organization. They've they've tried to, not to extend the answer, but they've they've tried to certainly patch up the uh, the incredible disappointment of Andrew retiring a handful of years ago. And you're all from, so familiar with that story. But since that time, from Rivers to Ryan, and now Foles and Ellinger in between, and 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 Jacoby, it's been it's been a rough ride. And so. I think with every good organization, you've got um, you know a, a Frank Reich type guy, a respected voice in that locker room. Maybe it's going to be Jeff Saturday. He's in the process of trying to become who he wants to be in that position, and then quarterback. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the surprised uh, retirement um, by by luck a couple years ago has not been something that the organization has easily rebounded from. And 
I may add, I don't know that any organization could lose a face and a name and a talent like that and show immediate, you know, response in the positive. It, it's it's been d- difficult. Clearly, I, I did like when when Rivers was in there um, and brought you to the playoffs, but. Clearly, that was not a long-term answer, and I think that's got to be one of the main priorities, certainly, of that organization is to figure out what you're going to do at head coach and what you're going to do at quarterback. Hey, Kevin, it's Brendan. Hope you've been enjoying the holidays. When it comes to getting a shot in the arm for the Colts, what is it most that they need? Do they need to address the quarterback merry-go-round and go young? Do they need more weapons when it comes to a wide receiver standpoint? Do they need to address the offensive line most? What needs to be the first thing in your mind? Well, there's a lot of it, and I think once you uh, have, you know, kind of look and survey the, the landscape of where the team is, and offense seems to be the big issue right now, is you've got to look at quarterback. Your running back seems to be set. I mean, he is an elite running back. Uh, there, there clearly is some uh, talent there at, at tight end. You know, Jelani is coming around and had a couple nice catches the other night as that size. Uh, um, and then the line, you know, I, I, I don't know that that, that 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 you've got a good building block in, in, in Quentin Nelson and and um, at least from his past experience and and what he's done. But until the quarterback thing is figured out, I, I don't know that anything is figured out. Until you get your quarterback, I don't know that you really have a hand on the rudder. And and that becomes the biggest thing for every organization. And, you know, this organization thought they had done it right in the wake of Peyton Manning. Um, they they cratered. They get luck. He can he brings them back up again. And sometimes you get that, that great talent at quarterback it sometimes doesn't, you know, really matter, you know, how good around him they've got stuff, what kind of weapons they have at his disposal, and how he can use them. He's usually smart enough, whoever that franchise quarterback is, to figure it out and make even ordinary players really good. I thought Peyton did that. I thought Luck had done that. And and um, and 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 so he can the, the the franchise quarterback, you know, can hide a lot of issues. The problem is finding that guy. And and I, the Colts thought they had done everything right, and they had, and they got uh, they were victimized clearly. I mean, he he retires a couple of weeks or whatever until the beginning of the season, and and that's the kind of thing that is such a blow to an organization especially someone like Luck, who was a terrific, had great character, was a leader on the field, had the resume you want, like everything was buttoned down for the next, you know, 12, 15 years with him as your guy. And then when he goes, you spend a lot of time trying to collect the the wreckage. And it's been an ongoing pursuit. And I don't mean to make light of him leaving or, or minimize it, but I don't think it can be you know, talked about enough just what, you know, him leaving has done, how they've tried to band-aid it and patch it up, and it just, they clearly have had no answer, as most organizations wouldn't. You just don't lose someone like Luck and before that Manning and expect to become what you were or want to be, and and that that's that's difficult. So I, I, I quite frankly, I feel sorry for the organization. They've, they've made moves that other teams would make. They got Ryan, who is a former MVP, they got, you know, Rivers in his last year, and that proved to be a, a good move and 
something collaborative with him and Frank and, and, uh, but, but it was not sustaining. And we've seen that since. And that's, that's kind of where they find themselves right now. You get a 33 year old Nick Foles. You try to bring in Ryan, which on paper looks good and maybe a fresh start for him with a mind like Reich. And it, it just, it just disintegrates before your eyes. And then you're left thinking now what? And that's kind of where they are. You're changing coaches. You're bringing in someone who's never coached and hoping that he can have, you know, some kind of positive effect. And the, the reports that we got were that he has brought the team together, galvanized them a little bit, shown a little bit of a, a steady hand on that rudder. But whether he's the long-term answer, and, and that makes the most sense for the organization going forward, you know, that's, that's going to have to be decided, and that's a, pretty big, that's a pretty big decision to make. Kevin Harlan of Turner Sports and Westwood One. Nice to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and the motorshop.com. Kevin, to kind of take fans behind the curtain for a second, when you're preparing for a broadcast, you're going to have your, in preparation for it, your meetings or conversations with coaches and players. I know that the Giants, in theory, you're obviously a national broadcaster, so it's impartial, but they're the bigger story in terms of being in contention and having a playoff opportunity to be locked up with a win against the Colts, but from the Colts' perspective, what's the top of yours and Trent's mind, or if you've already had those conversations, what is what were the top of your mind in terms of the Colts and the biggest questions they try to navigate through these final two weeks of the season? Well, I'd like to think that Foles, with a couple of weeks of practice with the Ones, will be uh, sharper than he was on Monday. He looked rusty. He hasn't played. We know that only two snaps all season before they gave him the starting, you know, ball. And, and that's, that's a tough thing, even for a guy like him, who's been in a Super Bowl and, and had some pretty incredible individual seasons along his path. No doubt he's got a big arm, a smart guy. Um, but as I recall, a couple of years ago, he wanted to retire. And so I guess you're kind of left thinking, well, what has happened since that thought? Now that he's with the Colts, he's been backing up. He hasn't played, and now he is. And end of the season, and uh, the team going no place. And you know, what can he? Kind of, is he interested in playing beyond this year? Is he a guy that that uh, you know, given you know that role and a couple of weeks in practice with the ones, shows a little bit of what he once was. And and does the team uh, collectively? And I know there are a lot of character guys on that team. Clearly, uh, are there enough of them? to say, you know what, this is our playoff game. Here we got a team that, that has a lot to play for. Um, we didn't pass the test against the Chargers, who were in the same boat on Monday. A win, and they were in, and they won, and they're now in. Uh, here's another team, you know, an unfamiliar foe we're going to see. Um, you know, can we can we rev up enough and, and show enough here that we can be, um, you know, a, a worthy opponent? And a couple weeks ago, uh, we were in Houston, Trent and I were in, did the Chiefs at the Texans with the worst record in pro football, and they took the Chiefs to overtime. And they played with a lot of pride. They got a lot of young players that they like. They played with a lot of pride. So I'd like to think that would show up. I I, I, I do think that uh, psychologically, mentally, uh, the blow they got in Minnesota, um, I, I don't. I, human nature would tell you that it, it would be very difficult to shake what happened uh, up there on that on that Saturday. That, that that was it was embarrassing. I'm sure for the organization. We know it was embarrassing for the players. 
Um, and trying to gather yourself after that has got to be a monumental task. I don't know how anyone could go through that, have that happen to him, and not be affected by it in some way. And maybe we saw the residual of that against the Chargers on Monday. Um, but time does heal, and there'll be a couple weeks removed from that game. So maybe they go into New York and they play hard and say, let's, you know, we're. And here's the other thing about the NFL, which is not true in the NBA. Um, the NBA has so many games and guys are resting and it becomes disappointing sometimes when guys sit out, when people are expecting them to play. So clearly in the NBA, there are too many games because if all these guys need rest, clearly you've got too many games for this player at this age of, of, of his career and where the league is. If you've got players sitting and resting, then, then you've got too many games. So, so that has got to be dealt with. And in the NFL, um, you know, that extra game has been really talked about. We really don't know where that stands and how that figures in. But I can tell you that with NFL players, um, there is effort every play. And I saw that from the Colts on Monday. The score wouldn't reflect it. The statistics wouldn't reflect that. But I saw a team that had not given up, and they, it just wasn't working. They were getting nothing out of their offense. They lost their best player in Taylor. They're, they're trying to they got a new third quarterback of the year. Like they're trying to figure out what's going on here. But I can tell you this: in the NFL, every snap is looked at. Every play matters in the NFL. And and I I, I hope they don't increase it over seventeen. It looks like they're in that direction. I'm afraid we're bordering on what the NBA is going through right now, and guys resting because they're too tired. You've got too many games. In the NFL, we're like right at that tipping point. And we may not be there quite yet, but but uh, I can tell you that, that most every player that I watch in the NFL knows that even if they're on a bad team, even if they're on a bad offense or defense, that individually that tape is looked at by GMs and scouting guys all over the league. And, and that sometimes will hatch a new career path with another team. So they don't give up in the NFL. They play every snap hard, every snap. And that's what gives me faith when I watch a team go in there with four wins like the Colts and a team that may be a little bit tight in the Giants, home crowd, a lot to play for, trying to get in, trying to seal the deal. You just never know. When a team never gives up, and the Colts are a team that never gives up, when you never give up, you know that, that anything can happen on a Sunday. And so that's kind of what we hang our hat on with CBS, and I'm sure they do at the other networks, that you know that if, if no team is going to mail it in. Rarely, rarely have I ever seen that happen. It, it, it really just doesn't because there's too much at stake for these kids and their future contracts and where they are in the spring and where they fit in in the summer and where they're going to be on opening day next fall. Kevin, when you look around the NFL, and to your point, the Colts' defense has been very sharp, very efficient throughout the year. If they had a, a, a halfway competent offense or an offense that didn't have as many injuries as they've had, then who knows? Maybe this is a different story this year. Uh, that's a long way of saying, when you look around the NFL, so many young quarterbacks of the teams, particularly in the AFC, that are in playoff contention or to make the playoffs, they're players that were drafted under center for them. A lot of pressure on the Colts to get that right. When you look around the league, where does this crop of quarterbacks rank in terms of, not, maybe not the all-time conversation, because that's a tough one to get into, but you've been around this league for a long time. 
Can you remember a time where there's been so many quarterbacks that are in either MVP conversation or in that category of this is the best in the NFL? Well, there are a lot of them, and we just saw a couple retire last year. You know, Roethlisberger retired, and Rivers retired, and they're probably both going to be in Canton. And you know, and we know we got Brady and Rodgers on the cusp, and Breeze retired a couple years before that, and all guys that will be in there. And you wonder now, okay, who fills those slots? So we got Mahomes, and and he clearly is a different kind of cat, and he's he's a guy with a generational arm and a, a, a way of playing that is unconventional and um, unique, and he, he is a unicorn in that sense, and and that makes him you know one of a kind. And um, Rogers' arm is probably the best arm we've ever seen, but he's now 38 and soon to be soon to be 39 if he already hasn't turned 39. Uh, and he's got young guys around him and trying to bring them up to speed. And it's very frustrating for him. And I see it. I call their preseason games on TV and have known him for a long time and, and know that, that he's trying to get the, he, he's, he's on page 543 and these young receivers are on page 10. And that's, that's a hard place to be. That's a hard, frustrating place to be. And then you got Russell Wilson who was on that path and and I don't know if he's irreparably damaged his Hall of Fame chances, but this has not been good for him. And I've I've rarely seen that where a guy has Hall of Fame numbers, credentials, and resume, and in one year has has soiled it to the point where people are now saying, "Well, wait a minute, did we misread it? Uh, is he was he not as good as we thought?" Um, you know that so that like that's weird to watch that. And then Stafford has had great numbers. And one great team season, but now he's out the very next year. His arm was never right this year. We knew it with the elbow out of camp, and we knew that he had a procedure done, and we just knew it wasn't right, and he's been shelved. And so they're scrambling, and they're trying to resurrect Mayfield, who a couple years ago brought Cleveland. And then, you know, I got the Deshaun Watsons, and now you're trying to figure out Tua with the, you know, is he soft? Is it physically just not going to be there for a guy like him? I'm telling you, in the beginning of the season, our crew did the game at Baltimore where they where he what threw for 600 yards or whatever, like an unbelievable or 400 whatever, 469 yards, uh, 600 yards of offense, and like holy cow, <laughs> like this this is the guy we saw at Alabama. This is the guy that Saban required from from Hawaii, and and so like there's all these different you know, and then he got a guy like Daniel Jones who you're going to see this weekend, you know, as Colts fans. And, you know, his his career was kind of like all over the place. And they bring in this great quarterback mine, Brian Dable, who has not just, you know, spoken to the quarterback who's listening, but he's, he's constructed an offense that makes sense for Jones to operate on. But we don't know that he's the long-term answer at quarterback. He's, he, he may not be, you know, the right choice, but he's Mr. Right now. And that's kind of what the Giants are looking like. You know, they get let's get through this season. They're evaluating him on every snap, but he may not be the long-term guy there. Um, you know, they've just they've done a lot to make sure that he is in a comfortable mode at quarterback and operating with things that he can literally touch and pull and push than, than a guy that maybe in the past they were trying to put him into a different kind of box that he just did not fit in. So I, I commend Dable, and if nothing else, that would make you, you know, one of the Coach of the Year candidates. And then Sirianni does the same thing with Hertz in Philadelphia. And I don't know that Hertz is really as good as the numbers say. He's got great 
supporting cast there, like unbelievable, a great line. He's got weapons, like so. It, so it's hard to figure out what you are um, and what you've got at quarterback because you know Barkley is saving the Giants and and the great receivers, you know Brown and and Smith and 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 the terrific line are are making a difference with Sanders in the backfield at Philadelphia. So like, I don't know sometimes. What we're seeing, if if it's smoke and mirrors, or if it's or if it's legit, but uh, but there are some good quarterbacks. I grant you that. Um, but a lot of team row, it's it's hard to get them. You know, I mean, what there are five maybe uh, elite quarterbacks, and you've got five to seven more that are that are pretty good. The Derek Cars of the world, right? And where do they fit in? They're not elite, but they're not bad. They're better than mediocre. So they're like in that next seven. And then you got 15 to 17 guys that are just kind of guys, right? In Houston and probably in Indy, quite frankly. And, and, and you know, you don't know what Fields is going to be in Chicago. So, so it, it, every team is interesting. Every team is, is searching for that guy. But that's a hard chore, and that's kind of what's in front of the Colts is, is they know that probably none of the three they've got are the guy. Two guys in their 30s, one guy is a late-round pick, and you're just – You've seen a little bit of him, and yeah, he kind of is what you thought he would be. So now you got to go out and you got to find a coach. Maybe you've got him right there. Maybe it is Jeff, and, but you've got to find the quarterback. And, and you said, God, we just went through this five years ago. And I know it. I know it. You got to do it again, unfortunately, as the guy retired and you're kind of back to square one. The great Kevin Hart. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And with us on the guest line brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Kevin, you alluded to the NBA in an earlier answer, really, over the last few weeks. That's been the story around town here from a positive sensation. The Pacers are a game above 500 with their win against the Hawks last night. What I want to ask you is you've covered the league for a long time, and when the Mavericks were going on their runs, you did a lot of Dallas games, I'm sure. Rick Carlisle with a young team. In your mind, what does Rick bring most to a squad that's on the cusp of being great? He brings structure and order and definition and a, and a, a good game plan, knowing what he's got to work with and just probably the voice they need. And, uh, you know, he's won a championship. He was a success um, you know, before he has been a success, um, you know, with with kind of holding on to everything that he inherited when he took over that head coaching job with the with the Pacers, and he's developed. You know, they made a major trade in there, and that's that's always huge for any kind of caliber coach to to kind of make sure that that the dust settles in the right way. Uh, clearly, he has done that. So I, uh, I listen. Uh, he's a friend, number one, and a guy I've talked to for many, many years. So I've got profound respect for for Rick and what he's done and how he's done it. And uh, he is the right coach at the right time with the right voice for that team. And and is he the coach that can push over the top? Absolutely. But that team also probably needs. You you can't win a championship, and you all know that there because you got such great basketball fans but you need you need a superstar uh i'm just saying that kind of ubiquitously like like you need you need a guy you need a superstar now you may have some budding superstars emerging you know caliber all-star caliber players 
Um, but but until you have that player, you're you're constantly kind of fighting uphill. But there's there's beauty in that too, because you you climb uphill with guys that will be there in the end, and you need them to win and be that dominant team. But you also need the superstar to be that kind of that that hedge against just being a good team and becoming a great team. And, you know, I don't have to tell you who those great players are in the league. They're easily identifiable. Um, but there's no doubt you need that stuff around him. You need the culture to be right. And that's what Rick does. He brings the right culture. He's the right voice. He's the experienced hand. He knows the path. He's got the directions. And and so, like, it, it must feel good to see some, you know, results now with all the things he's tried to implement in the time that he's been there. So I, I, I love Rick, and I just think that everywhere he's gone, the record speaks for itself. Now, when they get Luca, and he's trying to handle, you know, um, um, different situations there, you know, I, w- w- did Luca need a new voice in Dallas? I don't know. That's, I think, up to – I think had he, had he you know, um, stayed the course with this coach – not that he, you know, left, you know, forced the change. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that had they not gone to kid and kept Rick, I expect the results that we saw last year, quite frankly, that they made the conference finals, uh, surprisingly. And 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 I I think that's, you know, that's what you've that's what you 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 hope is the story with the Pacers. You know, um, we've we've seen the emergence of New Orleans. If they can stay healthy, and, and that that is always going to be a question with Williamson, but but that team, like Williamson, is a, is a budding superstar when healthy, and and they have done like an incredible job getting you know regular draft picks, couple free agents, young players they brought around and along, and and you need those kinds of players to surround that big name player. And and that's probably the next step, I would say, for, for the Pacers as they continue to build, get their structure, their infrastructure set. But now you need you need that 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 signature guy and who is that gonna be? Is he on the roster right now, or do you have to go out and sign him to a big contract and say, The team's ready, we need a guy like you now to uh you know, to put your foot on the gas and, and, and that may be the next step as they as they get to where they wanna go. Kevin, last thing from me, I think I could speak for both Jimmy and myself that uh, we have looked up to you for a long time, watched a lot of your broadcasts, but for me, I'm a baseball broadcaster in the Cubs organization, and anytime we have an announcer on the show, I always like to ask them about guys that took care of you and that you looked up to on your way up, so just wondering that from your perspective, Kevin. Well, I I, uh, probably have done it more from afar than I have, like with personal contact, guys that I emulated and um, tried to copy when I was like, you know, nine, 10, 11 years old. And, you know, the John, the voice was the first thing that really drew me to it. John Facenda and Summerall and Ray Scott and then Jim Simpson at NBC. And then Don Crickey, you know, who was at NBC and CBS and guys, I just, I just listened to along the way. Um, you know, I got it. I listened to Joe McConnell well, when I was a kid, when he was, you know when he was there, and um, uh, so I've, I've I've had a lot of people that have been nice along the way. I, I admired Jim Durham in Chicago growing up, Joe Tate doing Cleveland, uh, doing the Cavs on three WE. Um, Jack Buck certainly was a guy that I listened to growing up when I was in St. Louis, and 
and later on. So I guess I've got all these voices in my head. I, I don't have the voice that I dreamt I'd have. I don't have the delivery and, and all that that I wanted to have. But you're kind of born with what you've got, and so you try to you know, go along that path along the way. Uh, but the kindness of the guys I've always found is something that always is there, that if I'd come up at a game that I was broadcasting and they might be broadcasting, always show me like Dick Stockton at, at Fox and before that CBS, one of the one of the great voices in our business and the history. So um, I, I can tell you I've never been disappointed, whether it was Enberg or, or Summerall or, or Stockton, uh, Durham or Tate. You know, I've never been disappointed. Anytime I've ever met a guy that I've admired for, for a long time, I've got so many. I'm such a fan of the business and fan of broadcasters that, that I've got so many of them. I don't know if there's one that I really know, but I can tell you that, that the idea of, of, of was hatched when I listened to um, uh, the, 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 the narration of Super Bowl one between, the, and I was about, you know, seven, eight, nine years old when I first heard him was the, the voice of John Facenda with NFL Films narrating highlights of Super Bowl One, And subsequently, I've gone back to listen to Jim Simpson broadcast that game. And it's just a quick 30-second story. I went to the University of Kansas, and, and uh, there was a guy there that was broadcasting the Jayhawks, a guy named Tom Hedrick, who at one time broadcast the Cincinnati Reds and was replaced by Al Michaels, a young Al Michaels. But Tom Hedrick um, broadcast um, Super Bowl One for CBS Radio, and Jim Simpson broadcast Super Bowl One for NBC Radio. Back in the day, the AFL had their broadcasters and the NFL had their broadcasters. So you had two different broadcasts for Lombardi against Stram, Len Dawson against Bart Starr, the Chiefs against the Packers. And um, um, as it turned out, I went to the University of Kansas and the guy that was broadcasting the game for the Jayhawks at that time was Tom Hedrick, the original voice on CBS radio of Super Bowl One, And he took me under his wing as a freshman in college. I was already knee-deep in the business and was doing games in high school and went there because of their broadcasting department and to work with Tom. And, and the chances and, 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 and opportunities he gave me to fill in for him when he was not unable to do sports shows, um, I, he, as a freshman on that campus, he put me on the sideline to do sideline reports on the, on the KU football and basketball networks. I did the pregame. I was 18, halftime and postgame show, and, and Tom gave me this great opportunity. So uh, I stand on the shoulders. My career is, is all by luck and by good fortune and by somehow uh, catching the eye or the ear of somebody along the way. Um, there are uh, there's hundreds of I drive around uh, at night, listen to high school kids do games, uh, mid middle age broadcasters do games. And I thought this guy could be doing the University of, of Kentucky or Kansas. And, um, um, you know, uh, there, there's there is a Don Fisher out there someplace. I would tell you right now, there is a Don Fisher out there who is 24 who's doing a game at a small school in Indiana and, and will one day become the next uh, fish doing, doing, doing Indiana games or doing Kentucky games as Kay Wood Ledford did. And that was another guy I listened to was, was Kay Wood Ledford. So I, I, I have many voices in my head, which is weird to my wife and my kids. 
but but I've got them in my head, and I hear those names and I uh, hear those voices all the time, and that's that's what continues to this day to propel me to, to do the best I can possibly do. I, I always miss. I'm usually off target, but I like the challenge of always trying to be with those guys once were in our business, the, 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 the true giants of our business. Well, Kevin, I know I speak for Brennan as well, that you're that for us right now, and you're that for all young broadcasters. And on top of that, uh, I want to thank you as well for paying that forward also. You've been kind to me over the years uh, with guidance and tips uh, throughout that, and we really appreciate you being so gracious with your time today, and have a good call this weekend. Happy Thanks, New Year to you as well. Great to be on you. Happy holidays, and wonderful to be on with you. Take care, and I look forward to the next time we can visit.